So there's a there's this TV show titled Upload. Uh, it's, it's kind of an interesting show, but the idea of, of this show is, is that if you are able to, just, just before you pass away, you can actually upload your consciousness into the internet. Now, it's, it's a really interesting concept, but one of the things that I thought was really fascinating about this was because you live now in the internet is that they could just pull you up on a Zoom call and that, that you would actually participate in your own funeral. I mean, I think that's something that we think about sometimes is attending our own funerals, right? And just, we want to be able to see, like, what are people going to say? What are the words that they're going to share at our own funerals? We wonder, did we make a difference in this world? Right? Are people going to say positive things? Like, what's the legacy that we are going to leave behind? What are we going to be known for? And so as I, I think about that idea and just imagine myself in that position, right, watching my own funeral happen and thinking about those things, I, I begin to ask, what do I want people to say? Right? What do I want to be known for in life? How do, how do I want people to remember me after I pass away? And maybe as we begin thinking about that, thinking about how we want to re be remembered, we start to think, okay, how do I live lives to, to make people say those things, right? So if I want to be a good father, right, if I want people to say at my own funeral that, that John was a good father in life, then, then I know that I need to start living that out right now so that that, that can be the legacy, that can be the, the testimony that I leave behind. And so I, I like the thinking sometimes, as morbid as it might be, about, about what, are the, what are the words that people are going to say at my own funeral? Right? And as we think about that, too, I think it reveals to us our priorities. Wait, if, if I want to be a good father, then I know that my priorities today have to be pouring into my family, pouring into to those that I care about. Well, today we're actually beginning a new series on 1 Thessalonians. And, and I think that these words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, which is what we're going to look at this morning, almost are, are a good obituary. Like, I, I, I hope that these are the words that, that are written about me someday. Now, just to, to be clear here, Paul is, Paul is not actually writing an obituary here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's actually a part of his greeting, but I just think that the words here are so powerful. The, the testimony that this church has is, is such a powerful statement. So let's look at it here this morning and, and see what God is maybe speaking to us through 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and we continue, continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. 
You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you into the, not only into Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom has raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. So first of all here, uh, this is written by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And and so they all contribute to this letter, but it's thought that, that Paul probably did most of the writing here. So as I refer to Paul writing this, it's not that he wrote all of it, but most likely wrote most of it. So I'm giving him the credit here. And, and so I, I particularly today am, am drawn to verse three. The verse here where I think the, these are a beautiful summary about the church in, in Thessalonica. He says that your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope and Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that is a powerful testimony, right? That the, the things that, that they would, that people know about them, the things that people might say at their own funerals is that, is that first, they are a, a work that is produced by faith, a faith that's, that, that is emphasis that God has chosen them. Right, Paul says here, he's, he says, look, when we came to you, we came sharing the good news, sharing the gospel. We were telling you about Jesus Christ, but we know that God chose you not just because you heard the words, but because, because your lives were changed, right? It came with power. It came with deep conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. We hear this story actually in Acts chapter 17. It tells of Paul and his crew coming into Thessalonica and, and they are sharing this good news. They speak about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who had to suffer and then rise from the dead. Right? They speak about Christ's faithfulness. They preach about how Jesus is their Lord and Savior, how he came to, to rescue them from their sins and, and bring them into this new and, and greater life. And so Paul says, look, I've brought these words to you, but it wasn't me who changed you. Right? Paul, Paul, as great as he is, I, probably the greatest evangelist, the greatest church planter potentially of all time, right? And, and he comes in and he says, it wasn't me, right? I, I spoke the words, I, I presented the gospel to you, but, but I wasn't the one who changed your heart. The reason that your heart was changed is because the Holy Spirit came and convicted you. All right, so it's not, it doesn't matter how eloquent Paul spoke. It doesn't matter how, how perfect his theology was, right? This isn't what convinced the people. What convinced the people is the Spirit working in their hearts. 
Now, personally, I find that to be incredibly comforting. I mean, I think that God calls us to be like Paul, to share the good news, to, to speak about who he is to the world around us. But sometimes I find myself, and maybe you find yourself in a similar position where, where there are times where you, like, you don't really want to share the good news. And maybe some of it is like, you're like, I just don't know that I, I have the words. I don't know that I'm going to be able to make it sound as good as I, I know that it really is. I'm, I'm worried I'm going to leave something out, or I'm really worried they're going to ask me some question that I don't know the answer to. Right? And so we find ourselves in this position of we are called to share this gospel, but, but sometimes this fear of our own human limitations prevents us from following through on that. And I think that's because we think that, that we have to convince people ourselves, that we have to speak well enough in order to, to tell people and convince them of who Jesus really is. But I like in here, Paul says, look, our calling is to share the news, but, but I can't change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit, when it comes and, and brings this deep sense of conviction into your life, only then can your life be changed. And so we can share the good news in, in broken and imperfect ways and watch as the Holy Spirit does amazing things. Now, for me, right, I'm in a position where I come up here on a weekly basis. Those words cannot be more comforting. I mean, how often do I stumble over words? I, I don't know if you caught it, but I know Allie and I were talking about it after the service. I think I tried to say the word unitified like four or five times last week. Right? I mean, I just I could not seem to figure out how to get the words out of my mouth the way I wanted to. And, and thankfully that can be okay, right? Thankfully, it's the Holy Spirit that's gonna, gonna just convict people and change people and move them the way that the Holy Spirit needs to. And so Paul says, he says, I know that you are a people chosen by God because he not only created the opportunity for you to hear the good news, but, but he then sent the Spirit to convict you in in powerful ways. And so the Spirit then works in their life to then cause them to live lives of faith. Lives that are different. And I think that, that that's an important part too. As our hearts are broken down by the Spirit, right? As they teach us about who we are and then, and then teach us about who Christ is and really change our lives to him, we become different people. We have to be. We have to live different lives. When we experience the grace of God, when we experience how he has rescued us from a world of brokenness, a world where, where death was what we were due, and then he gave us life. He went to the cross for us. How can we not be changed by that? How can that not affect the way that we live our lives? And so in verse 9, we're told that the, the people of Thessalonica, when they heard this gospel message, when they were convicted by the Holy Spirit, that they turned from idols to serve the living and the true God. 
right, as they were convicted, that they were, they were caused to change their lives in ways that were probably new, in ways that were probably scary and uncomfortable, and, and yet God was calling them in a different direction. Just to pause and step back here for a moment. The city of Thessalonica uh, was, a, was a really pagan city. I mean, it was a, it was a city in which it was... It was profitable because of its its location, right? And real estate, location, location, location. And here, the city of Thessalonica sat on, on one of the most important ports in the Aegean Sea, right? So that gave them access to, to all sorts of people and resources coming through their area. And not only that, but they found themselves at a crossroad of two crucial roads. And so, they had access to the entire Roman Empire. And so you can imagine all of the people that would come through this place, all of the, the resources that would come through this place. One commentator even mentioned, it said that this is the only city in contemporary Greece that has never, from its foundation, right, from its very beginning until today, lost its commercial importance. Right, if a city has survived all of these years and continues to remain an important commercial city, you can just imagine how, how crucial and how important all of the resources and the people that would have traveled through this place. And so it was, it was one of the top 10 biggest cities for the Roman Empire. And with that, that meant that all of the gods people worshipped came through this place too. There were all sorts of gods that were worshipped here, at least 11 of like the really well-known ones, of ones like Dionysus and Zeus, Apollo, Aphrodite, right? Those were among some of those that were, that were really well-known for being worshipped in this place. And so imagine, imagine how ingrained idol worship was for the people there. And now imagine being convicted by the Holy Spirit and changing to no longer worship idols, but now worship and serve the true God. That's no small change, right? It wasn't just like, oh yeah, I guess we'll move from this one to that. Like that was a life altering moment for them. That was a moment that probably didn't just happen overnight, but something that, that had to work through their lives over time, something that would have taken them time to adjust to, to something that maybe would have made them look foolish to those around them. Because everyone else is saying, why, are you, why aren't you still worshiping these idols, right? These are who we are used to worshiping. And so this was something new. This was something different, maybe even uncomfortable. And so maybe the question for us a little bit this morning is what is God convicting us of? What is he calling us to move away from and then towards worshiping him? We all have things in our life. We all have things that that have taken priority over God. So what is God saying to you? What's, well, how is he convicting you this morning? And, and how is he inviting you into a process to, to move away from those things and into this life with him, into a, an intimate relationship with him? 
Again, I don't think it happens with just the flick of a switch, right? It's not like it just changes over life and suddenly all of those things we've struggled with, all of those temptations, all of those other things, it's not like they just disappear immediately. But it's that we know that they can no longer have power over us and instead that we can go to the whole, with the Holy Spirit. We can, we can move and, and leave those things behind and follow the good and the gracious God that we serve. And so the testimony of this city is that they were a people of faith. A people of faith that that were then actually moved to love, prompted by love into the world around them. Right as they heard this gospel message from Paul, from Silas, from Timothy, they received that. They, they, they understood and they, they started to experience the grace and the love of God. And then they were prompted to share that with the world around them. Last week, you used the image of absorbing the faith and then reflecting it. Right? That they, as, as Paul and Silas preached the good news to them, they absorbed the love of God. They experienced it. They allowed it into their hearts, and, and the Spirit convicted them. And then it changed their life. It moved them to trying to be people of love, to, to love the, the world around them. And so they got to the point where in verse 7, it says that they became models to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And in fact, actually, it didn't stop there, but that their faith in God became known everywhere. It's a powerful testimony. That their faith in God became known everywhere. I mean, those are the words I I would love for people to say at my funeral someday, right? That they could forget about all the things of this world that they said his faith was known across the world. Right? He, he had an impact on, on sharing the love of God to the people around him. I would love there's at least one person there who says, I know Jesus because of him. I mean, shouldn't that be our prayer, that, that our faith can be known everywhere? And so if you are here today and and you wouldn't consider yourself Christian. Maybe you're just exploring. Maybe you're like, what is this church thing? What is this Christianity thing? I hope today that you just hear the, the message of, that God loves you, right? And you just allow that to, to absorb into your own life, that you allow the Spirit to come and, and enter your own life. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you just need to pause right there and just, just experience and accept that in. But if you are a Christian, if you have experienced the love and the grace of God, how can you reflect it? How can you show it to the world around you? How can you make the faith known so that everyone can bow before Jesus and proclaim him as Lord and Savior? And so I pray that that is your testimony. I pray that that's the testimony of of this body here today, that faith in God could be known everywhere. So the church in Thessalonica was prompted by love. Love is the motivation. If we love the people around us, we want them to know who Jesus is. But we can only love if we are first connected to God ourselves. 
right? We love because God first loved us. And so we have to absorb, we have to recognize and say, God, I see what you've done for me, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus came down to this place. He humbled himself because of his love for us. He had you in mind, right? He was thinking of you when he came down to this place. And and when he went to the cross, he said, I am doing this for you. I'm doing this for John. He had your name in mind. And so Christ went to the cross. He, He laid his own life down, taking all of your burdens, all of your sins, all of your brokenness upon himself and saying, I will pay for it all. I will suffer on your behalf. And then he rose from the dead, right? And, and in that moment, he said, look, sin, death, they, they have no grip on me, right? They cannot hold me down. But Jesus rose victorious, and we get to participate in that victory. We get to have life because he is the everlasting God. That is the love that came down to this earth. That is the love that that served us and flows now hopefully through us into the world around us. But even for the church in Thessalonica, that love, that faith did not come without facing opposition. In Acts 17, if you read the story there, it it says that that some of the Jews were so jealous, right? After Paul preached the gospel and after people were turning their lives to Jesus Christ, it says that they were so jealous that they rounded up some bad characters. I I just, I actually think this is kind of funny, right? Like they, they went and just said, who are all the troublemakers in the world around us? Let's get them, let's all come together and see how much problems we can create for these new believers, right? So they caused a mob. They created this riot, pushing back, fighting against these new believers. Or as they say in in verse six of our text today, that the church welcomed the message of Jesus Christ even in the midst of severe suffering. When we accept Jesus, when we try to live lives of love that reflect the love that we've received from Christ, we face opposition. The world fights back. The devil fights back. He he does not want our faith to be known across the world, and so he pushes back. He fights back. I read a a, a book once that that said, the, the author said, he's like, I hope that my name is on a wanted poster in hell, right? I mean, how, how awesome is that, right? That he's saying like, I, I want to be showing so much love into this world that the devil there is saying, I want that person to be stopped. I need that person to be stopped. And so he's gonna throw everything at us, right? He's gonna, he's gonna push back. He's gonna try to, to prevent us from, from living these lives, from having this testimony that just points all of the glory, all of the praise to God the Father. Following Jesus doesn't mean that we are free from suffering, right? We, we still experience so much suffering in this world. It comes in all sorts of different shapes and sizes. 
your suffering might be very different from somebody else's suffering. So what do we hold on to? How do we continue to run the race? How do we continue to to move forward in these lives? That's where Paul says for the church in Thessalonica, that as they experienced even this severe suffering, what they held on to was a hope in Jesus Christ. That their endurance came from the everlasting hope that Jesus offers. Today, our hope can come from knowing that I do not belong to my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That he is the one that holds me. That he is the one that, that continues to lift me up. And so whatever kind of suffering we might face, our hope is in Christ. That doesn't mean he's necessarily just going to remove all the suffering immediately from our lives, but I do believe that he'll help us move through it. That he'll help us get to the other side so that we can continue to have faith in him, continue to be motivated by love in him. And so as I think back here now to the beginning, think back about just being in a space where I'm watching my own funeral. And I want you to imagine yourself in that spot too, right? Watching your own funeral. What's the legacy you want to leave behind? What do you want to be known for? And how is that going to shape your life today? My hope is that we as a body and we as individuals can be known as sinners convicted by the Holy Spirit who have experienced the love and the grace of God. So we know that we are sinners who have been saved by Jesus Christ. Saved to the point where we wanted to turn away from the idols, turned away from the ways of this world and into a way that that can be pointing all of the glory, all of the honor, all of the praise and worship to God. A faith that moves us to love a love that is based on the love we've experienced through Christ himself. And that even when the enemy pushes back, that we can hold on to that hope. We can hold on to that hope of knowing that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? Dear God, Heavenly Father, God, we know that we need you. God, we thank you for for just loving us in ways that are greater than we could ever ask or imagine. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for for the hope that you offer. God, help us to never leave those things behind, but help us to to just absorb that love that you give us and then reflect it into the world around us. God, I pray that our names can be on a wandered poster in hell. That the devil would be wanting to stop us, but that we know that with your power, a power that comes through the Holy Spirit, God, that we can continue to run the race that is before us that we can continue to push forward. God, we just pray that, that through all of this, that, 
that when it comes to the day when you've called us home, that the testimony we leave behind is that somebody else knew you because of us. So God, I just pray that you continue to move in this space. We pray that you come into our own hearts, convict us in ways, and then send us in this world to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.